I'm Caleb Brown, host of the Cato Daily Podcast. It is December, and I am once again here to ask you to support this podcast and the broad mission of the Cato Institute by becoming a podcast sponsor. If you support Cato to the tune of $1,000 or more, I'll gladly give you a shout out on the podcast. The only way to do it is to visit cato.org slash podcast sponsor to make your donation. Cato accepts no government money. We depend on the generosity of our sponsors to help us advance the values of individual liberty, limited government, free markets, and peace. Visit cato.org slash podcast sponsor and support the Cato Daily Podcast and the Cato Institute. This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, December 23rd, 2021. I'm Caleb Brown. The degree of school choice in your community has an impact on housing decisions, and school choice can raise the value of areas that some homebuyers might not otherwise consider. William Maddox directs education policy at Florida's James Madison Institute. We spoke earlier this month. One thing that we don't talk about a lot on this program, uh, even though we do talk about school choice a lot, is how school choice affects non-school choice events in the outside world. Um, Some parents will make housing decisions based on where they think they can get their kids into the better public schools, the ones that have a better reputation or they feel that will meet their children's needs the best. Uh, In a school choice environment, I guess that's not quite as necessary. Explain to me what you think school choice does to housing. So you're absolutely right that housing decisions for a long time um, have been greatly affected by schooling considerations. The reason that parents are so concerned about location, location, location when it comes to where to live is because they are fundamentally concerned about their kids' education, education, education. And one of the things that happens when you have robust school choice programs is that it becomes possible for people to consider living in areas that they otherwise would not wish to live. And that then has all sorts of positive effects on housing patterns, the economic diversity of living situations, the um, proximity of neighborhood assets to um, areas that need economic revitalization. Because when parents now choose to, because of school choice, remain in areas where they, say, bought bought a starter home but never imagined um, living uh, forever because of school district assignment considerations, when they now have the ability to remain in such neighborhoods or, for that matter, to move into such neighborhoods because they are more affordable, the the, the community not only gains education-minded parents, but they also gain scout leaders and little league coaches and church volunteers and all sorts of other things that um, uh, help revitalize the community. It's it's economic life. What happens then are banks and grocery stores and other sorts of businesses now uh, choose to set up shop in such areas. And you can see transformation of neighborhoods driven, if you will, by school choice. And this has happened, um, there, there are th- kind of three different episodes that we have highlighted in an upcoming report, one that's rural, one that's suburban, and one that's urban. And so let's be very clear, Florida has extensive school choice. It is one of the states that is a a leader in that area. Yes. Uh, And so in many ways, this is a um, great place for 
us to now be looking at where we can be innovative and how we can address considerations and concerns that we haven't to this point um, um, directly addressed. We have seen with the expansion of school choice in our area or in our, or throughout our state, we have seen that sometimes when a desirable school pops up, you will find families that seek to move closer to it, and that has a positive um, stimulative effect on the local neighborhood and the local economy. But the three studies that we're going to be um, uh, highlighting in an upcoming report about this topic actually come from outside our state. One is from a rural area in Vermont. Another is from a suburban area in San Antonio. And the third is in an urban setting in Paris, France. And in all three settings, universal scholarships were available to all families, regardless of income, within certain geographic spheres. And what, what happened in each case is that uh, many middle-class um, affluent families chose to live in areas that historically had been um, uh, overlooked or, or were considered undesirable. And there was a positive uh, increase in property values in those areas. And so what we're now looking at in Florida is we're seeking to basically make Florida America's education destination and to say to families throughout the country who do not enjoy the school choice options that they would like to have, come to Florida. What we want to do is to provide universal scholarships to all families, regardless of income, and then to provide weighted funding for those of any income who choose to live in areas that need economic revitalization, whether those areas are rural areas, small towns, or urban settings where there has been uh, some measure of blight. And the hope would be that you would provide an incentive for families to come so that our state enjoys more education-minded uh, parents and their talented offspring but that the benefit would be especially felt in areas that need economic revitalization like those I've just mentioned. Now, you talk about uh, maybe low-income areas, but I can tell you that there are some wealthy, decaying neighborhoods that uh, there are no children there. Part of that has to do with zoning. Part of that has to do with just um, not being particularly inviting to young families. And I got to tell you, I think that young families are sort of the, the lifeblood of a lot of communities and that structural support that those kinds of people moving into communities, uh, education-minded parents, uh, could be very uh, helpful. My concern, I guess, is that this reads like a kind of a social engineering project. Is that fair? I, I don't think so. I think if you are comfortable with things like Opportunity Zones and providing incentives for businesses to try to revitalize areas that um, need economic revitalization, the same principle essentially is at work here, where you're basically saying not to uh, business leaders, but in a certain sense to laborers, we will provide in some ways a uh, an incentive for you to consider living in areas that you wouldn't previously. And part of the reason you wouldn't previously is because of horrible public policies that have been on the books for many years. Um, that skew housing considerations in a particular direction because of district assignment. And so what you're trying to do is to offset the negative effects of district assignment by basically opening up things to everyone. 
as a technical matter, what does this look like? Parents, in terms of the incentives that they're getting, what are they? So we've advocated that you provide a basic scholarship to all families that would be pegged to the um, current per-pupil amount that is provided to families who uh, have full-time online students. That amount is less than the uh, amount for all families uh, generally, but it is currently about $6,000 a year in our state. And the idea being that the savings that would come from a more efficient form of education, and, and these would all be ESAs, by the way, which is a more efficient form, much like online learning, those savings then would be um, uh, shared with the taxpayers, but that you would provide then weighted funding of, say, $8,000 a year, which is comparable to the current amount for per pupil spending in the public school classroom to families who choose to live in uh, areas needing economic revitalization. And how do the areas needing economic revitalization, how is that, is that, what is the measure uh, or measures used so, to determine that? So it would be determined by the governor, but it would be um, um, something that would no doubt be influenced by existing um, uh, definitions found in federal legislation re regarding opportunity zones. We also have in our state, the Florida Chamber has done, um, uh, ha has, a, has a very interesting project where they have identified uh, poverty zones that they're seeking to um, uh, revitalize. And what we're saying is, rather than trying to revitalize these areas in the traditional way by um, improving the public schools with greater funding, as if that's somehow going to work this time, what we've said is, no, let's do something much more um, market-driven um, and, and use uh, uh, universal scholarships as a way of drawing people. And I, I should mention here, universal scholarships have this positive effect, regardless of whether the funding is weighted. And so in our minds, having universal funding alone will um, propel us in the right direction because it makes more affordable areas more attractive to consumers. So if someone was really concerned about weighted funding and perceived that that is a uh, social engineering or something, as you mentioned earlier, you could obviously go simply with universal scholarships, which is something we've advocated for a long time. Our sense is that this is a way of addressing a constant tension that we see within our movement, which is some people want to focus their funding on the poor and others want to provide universal scholarships. We've always been in the universal scholarship camp. We n took note, uh, even uh, here today, there's a new article up at uh, Real Clear Education that says, hey, the, the future should be means-tested ESAs, because if you provide universal coverage and universal scholarships, the, the, all you'll do is increase uh, the tuition cost at uh, uh, attractive private schools because in the same way that we've seen with higher education. And so what we're trying to do is to find a way that you can satisfy both those who want universal coverage and satisfy those who want a particular focus on the poor. And the way to do that in our mind is universal scholarships, weighted funding, but the weighted funding is not tied to being low income. It's tied to living in areas that are historically low income. 
And that then provides a, a, a way of diversifying those areas and revitalizing them and helping bring everyone up. William Maddox directs education policy at Florida's James Madison Institute. We spoke earlier this month. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast pretty much anywhere and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.